up some notes from a previous message that I, I ministered because of some of the things that the Lord's speaking to me about where we are and, um, you know, different things that we're about. On Wednesday nights, if you can come at all on Wednesday night, even if you're not connected to this house, if you're from another house and maybe you don't have a service on Wednesday night or it just interests you, we're going over the DNA of this house and uh, trying to just in that one hour, hour and 15 minutes of teaching, we're trying to explain some of the words that you hear used here and some of the thoughts and core values of the house. And it gives us an opportunity, and we try to keep it to about 40, 45 minutes of teaching, and then we open it up for dialogue. And so people can ask questions or give input and things like that. So I'm excited about that. And it helps us explain what God's doing. You know, our core values are the core values of this house, and it's very important that we keep those intact. And um, I had a dream. I, I use dreams a lot because it seems like God gives them to me more now than he ever has. But I had a dream that a lot of us were in this house, not this house, but a house, in the dream. We were in the living room of, of this house, and it was mostly, I can't remember everybody was there. You know how in dreams you're aware that there's a lot of people with you, but you don't see faces. So in the dream, I didn't really see faces. I just knew there was a lot of people with me, and it was people of this house. And out the back door was two sliding glass doors, and there was a set of steps. There were three steps up to the next level, and then at the top level there was a swimming pool. And we were checking out this house, and it was like, oh, this is cool, man. Look at this house. This is nice, man. Somebody's like, oh, man, there's a pool up there. So we open up the sliding glass doors, and we all go up to the pool. And when we go up to the pool, it's empty. And there's a humongous python in the pool. He just takes up the whole bottom of the pool. And when we all come up and gather around, and when we look at him, he's got his eyes closed, and when we look at him, his eyes open. And then he starts to uncoil and come up out of the pool. And then everybody scatters. I don't like snakes. Y'all like snakes? I'm going to shoot them. If I see a snake, I'm going to shoot them. And quite honestly, if you like and have pet snakes, I'm not sure we can be friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's something that's daggum snakes weird me out. But anyway... I knew that that was a spiritual dream about the spirit of Python because if you study about that spirit, you understand what it attempts to do, especially to an apostolic move in a region. And there's a second level of heaven, a second, it's called the second heaven, where spirits communicate. They communicate information that they gather from us and life. That's how uh, people can give you um, direction in your life. You can go to a, a you know, a tarot reader, tarot card reader, or whatever, they have information for you. That realm gathers information and shares information, and people can tap into that. They don't get third heaven revelation, but they can get second heaven revelation. And the Spirit operates in that realm, and the Lord prompted me to this, to this series of messages we did on this because sometimes the Lord will give us a warning or he'll give us some direction in our life, and we take it immediately and we meditate on it, but over time we forget it. And sometimes the warning isn't for the immediate moment. It's for what's coming in the future. And so by the time the warning comes to fruition in our life, we've forgotten the warning and we've moved on. And God's like, you know, you need to carry this a consciousness of what I've told you with you at all times. And, 
And so some of the things, the characteristics of what this spirit does, and I studied this out after a lot of different people and a lot of different um, books and, and, and different things that we have out there on this. And one of the characteristics of this spirit is it's a territorial spirit that gathers and communicates information about the destiny, the activity, the calling, the anointing, the mission, and the level of spiritual authority in the life of those in its territory. It likes to guard its territory. Python spirit is especially, resi especially resists worship, prayer, prophetic intercession, apostolic anointing, and true revelation. It'll try to create... Uh, lethargy and the resistance to prayer and the inability to worship. Symptoms of a python attack on a believer may include weariness, loss of passion, loss of passion to worship and pray, the feeling of outside uh, extra pressure overwhelmed, helpless, and even hopeless. It seeks to rob you of your divine motivation and fight and replace it with discouragement, hopelessness, and apathy. And I could go on with a whole lot of these um, definitions of what the spirit does and I see that integrated into not just non-believers but believers lives as well how we yield to the spirit and I believe that it's it is it seems like a conflict what I'm trying to teach you from last Sunday to this morning to that but to be forewarned is to be forearmed we don't have to fear this type of thing we just have to keep this in the forefront of our minds so that we, you know, weigh out ourselves in light of the revelation that God has given us about who we are and what we're supposed to be about and how we really are. And then last week I talked to you about Lucifer, devil, Satan, the enemy, how, whatever, however you categorize him at the moment. And that'll change depending on your interaction with him. But I tried to point out the fact that he's defeated. We don't have to live in fear of the enemy. And I started turning the focus on the me and you. Because that's where the majority of fights that we fight are. They come out of our own heart. And if we understand the second heaven and we understand that demons and demonic spirits and our enemy gather information about who we are, how are they gathering that information? What we say, that's one way. What's another way that the enemy might gather information on you? Watching the manifestation of your actions. Hearing your conversation. All these things he's gathering information. So does he tempt us? Yes. Does he come at us? Yes. Does he come at us at our major weakness? Yes. Why? Because he knows what our weakness is. Because he's examined our life. He's heard our words. He's seen our path, so he knows what, you know, he knows our buttons, so to speak. But they're still our buttons. And, I mean, I'm still chewing on what Abner said. You know, the church has a major problem with spiritualizing its dysfunction. In other words, if you can spiritualize your own dysfunction and blame the enemy, then you don't have to deal with it. You can just blame him. But it's still your dysfunction. And we all, we all, we all have dysfunction at some level. Everybody in this room has some level of dysfunction in your life. It could be something as, as simple as pride, competition, arrogance, something like that. But we all have some dysfunction that tries to 
come to the surface in our life and cause us continual problems with what the Lord's trying to do in our life. And I believe that we even use God to medicate our dysfunction. Some people medicate a dysfunction with drugs. Some people medicate with alcohol. Some people medicate with inappropriate relationships and contact. Some people medicate with vacations. Some people medicate with purchases. Some people medicate with extracurricular activity. Some people medicate with God. They have no intentions of allowing God to really touch their dysfunction. So they come in on Sunday morning and they get their dose so that they feel better about their dysfunction. And they go their entire life coming into the house of God, medicating their dysfunction and never allowing God to deal with it. And if we really want to be a people who flow in the apostolic and prophetic anointing of God and we really want to make an impact in the community, somewhere down the line we've got to quit medicating. We medicate with our physical appearance. This is the time of year that everybody's trying to make themselves feel better by their appearance. We feel so bad about ourselves, we think if we can change our physical appearance, then all of a sudden that satisfies that dysfunction that we carry in our heart about who we truly are. It's not really our physical appearance that bothers us, it's us. If you were satisfied with the person that you were, you could handle your physical appearance, whatever that may be. And if you didn't like it, you could change it then in a healthy way. But slimming down some pounds is not going to change that dysfunction that you feel in your heart. You're still going to look in the mirror and see that person that you know that you are. So sooner or later, we've got to change that person, right? It don't matter how many words you spit out of your mouth, how much God you talk, if you're not dealing with the dysfunction. And guys, you know this as well as I do. Some of us, including myself, we have carried this dysfunction for your entire life. Sooner or later, you've got to deal with it. That's like when, when people are afraid of inner healing. That to me immediately shows and displays a dysfunction. I'm not going to look at anybody when I say this, but if, if my wife were continually on Facebook talking about how wonderful I am, that would alarm me. I'm just telling you the truth. Because it would, it would be a signal to me that there was possibly something that she's trying to compensate for. There's a dysfunction that is deep-seated. Either she doesn't approve of me of who I am, so she's overcompensating by talking about how great I am, or there's a secret in her that feels the need to hide, and it hides in overcompensation. You ever been around people who continually overcompensate for something? Chances are... There's a dysfunction there that they're trying to cover. You ever been talking to people that you can't have a normal conversation with because they spiritualize every single thing? There's a fear there. There's a dysfunction there that they're overcompensating with with God. They're medicating their dysfunction with words of God. And honestly, guys, I think, I honestly believe in my relationship with the Lord. He is growing weary of this. That God is growing weary of this in our lives. He's growing weary of the dysfunction. And what he's saying is, my, I, I've given you everything that I have, resources that I have, 
power that I have, influence that I have. I've given all of that to you so that you could mature and become a person lacking nothing, but you continuously carry this dysfunction. And I'm growing weary of it because it's hindering this movement that I want to release. It's like all of uh, of the revivals who have crashed because of like personal, uh, a lack of personal integrity. That was a masked dysfunction that wasn't dealt with. And when the pressure that comes with this type of movement was applied, the dysfunction was masked until the point where it couldn't be masked anymore and it erupted and blew up the move of God. And I do believe that God has grown weary of that. And so I don't believe there will be a revival in this community released again until God can find the people who can steward a revival for longevity. Not for a moment, not for a couple of weeks, not for, you know, a, a year even, but forever until he returns. And so to get to that point, you've got to, you've got to deal with you. I've got to deal with me. Now your dysfunction may not be uh, as manifested and as easy or easily noticed as other people's dysfunction. People who medicate with uh, street drugs, that's pretty easy to identify, right? People who medicate with extra marital affairs, that's, that gets caught real easy, right? It's up front. Your dysfunction may be jealousy. Your dysfunction may be uh, unforgiveness. Sometimes those things are a little bit harder to get to. And that's why if you don't have inner healing connected with the supernatural move of God in a community, the supernatural move of God will fail. Because inner healing is an avenue. And we'll have inner healing again on June 18th. If you want to make a, a, an appointment or if you want to come for some inner healing sessions, it's available here. That'll be on June 18th. You can see Leah a Stapler for that. Or call Paul during the day and set one of those up or however you want to do it. But if you don't deal with you, eventually when that supernatural manifestation and flow of God is released, it's, gonna, it's going to identify your dysfunction. And it's going to disrupt possibly the thing that God's doing in your life. So in Song of Solomon 2.15, there's a scripture. You've all heard this. You know what it is. If you don't know that it is Song of Solomon 2.15, you will when I get through because you've all heard the scripture. It says, capture for us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. Now, in the context that it's written, it's talking about a relationship between a man and woman and the issues, the small issues that go unaddressed that end up destroying the relationship. We get that. But if you put that in the spiritual context of the house, it's the little things that will destroy what God's trying to do. It's not, a, it's not people from, from a, a Mormon church that come and picket outside our church. That's not going to destroy our church. It's not the onslaught of the satanic world coming against us that's going to destroy what God's doing. It's the little things inside the house that's going to destroy it. It's not somebody outside my marriage that will destroy my marriage. If there's infidelity in the marriage, it wasn't somebody outside the marriage that caused that. It was the issues inside the marriage that were never addressed. 
if you backslide, lose out with God, get overwhelmed, get, you know, all these things, these, these spiritualizations of our dysfunction that we label it with, if you do all that, it's not, it's not all of a sudden you were overwhelmed. You had issues that you didn't deal with, and all of a sudden, all of those small issues that went undealt destroyed your faith. And the thing about a fox, a fox can turn its prey. It can feed on mice, it can feed on rabbits, it can feed on meat, and and then it can also turn and feed on fruit. So you can bear all the fruit you want to bear for God, but if you don't deal with the small issues in your life, those small issues will come back and eat all the fruit of your life. How many people do you know have spent 25, 30 years building fruit in the ministry and one small issue that came out that was undealt with destroyed their legacy. How many things do you see? How many times do we have to see this in society with football coaches, CEOs, all of the, all the way to the presidency of the United States, multiple presidents, where the small issues that weren't dealt with was what came back and destroyed their legacy. It's the same way in the house of God. It's these small issues that you continually perpetuate. I continually perpetuate in my life. This, this anger, this, unmet, this need for control. Do you understand that if you are, how many of you have ever taken a disc assessment test or anything like that? All right. If you identified yourself, people say this boastingly, but I relentlessly, I mean reluctantly, thank you, I'll get the right word, just help me. I reluctantly share that mine was a high D because if you're a high D, then that means you like to be in control. And when you exercise that control as an attempt to to manipulate life, you, along with myself, put yourself in the position of God. You're one of the most likely people to build an idol of yourself. That concerns me. So I know in my very nature and my personality that I've built over the years, when things start to feel out of control, I like to shut everything down and get full control. When the kids were growing up and things seemed to be getting out of control in my family, instead of sitting down with everybody and having a normal conversation between people, I would tell everybody in the house to shut up. I don't want to hear a word spoken. I mean, I would just take control because I felt like things were getting outside my control. And that's really the, the biggest lie in life is that you're in control anyway. We make comments in church that God's in control and then we leave the church and try to take control in our cars, in the restaurant. You're not getting your food on time, so what are you going to do? You're going to take control. What are you going to do? You're going to cuss out the waitress. You're going to cuss out the guy. You just came from church. You see what I'm talking about? It's the small dysfunctions in who you are that's killing you. I mean, if you put not getting your food on time in perspective to the people in the world who don't have food, at least you have the promise that food's coming. At least you're sitting generally in an air-conditioned building, in a comfortable suit of clothes, that you arrived in a car that was moderately comfortable and that you have the promise that even after this meal, you'll eat another one. 
So relative to what God's called you to do and what you've got going on in your life, how important is it that you make yourself the center of attention at the table by taking control? That's a dysfunction. You put yourself really as an idol because you've said this world's built to please me. I am the center of this universe. So if you're a high D now, who, who were high, where are my high Ds at? I got one that will admit it after that. I'm in there with you. It's the small issues. Roman tw- this is this is some honestly this is where I live in the reality of of what I believe God speaks to me about it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. If I could get this integrated into my life, I mean, this is why we say if God be for us, who could be against us? If God can help us mature. I love my father because he's a true father. True fathers are concerned about the type of individual that they're raising. And that's the way God is. He's not concerned, as concerned with my emotions, how I feel about what he's saying, if I approve of what he's saying. He's not concerned with all that. He's concerned with what I need in my life to be able to mature past this dysfunction. Your dysfunction may not be sexual immorality. It may not be that you are uh, you know, committing armed robberies. It may not be that you're laundering thousands and thousands of dollars. These may not be your issues. Your issue may simply be that you don't believe that you're truly a son of God and that you're truly forgiven. So you live under that cloud of condemnation. That may be your issue. But that is an issue. That is a severe issue. I've met drug addicts who truly love God and truly were trying. And You know what? This is what we have to understand about grace. Grace isn't your condition. People don't have to meet your, your grace expectation. You can't extend the grace that God can extend, nor can you take it back. Grace is a condition, a heart condition, and you can't judge that. You generally can't even judge. We generally can't even judge our own heart, much less somebody else's. So grace is a condition of the heart. But I've met people who were strung out, who, who I honestly felt in their presence like they we're seeking God at a far greater level than somebody who don't have any issues in the church. It's like, how can this be, God? How can this be? And, he, and it's like he said, because their dysfunction has manifested. It manifests easily. It's easy to identify. People can see it, so it has to be dealt with. The danger in the church is that people are hiding all of their dysfunctions that nobody can see, and they won't deal with them. And then when the man of God or woman of God or people of God who are in leadership over them identify, you know what they do? They swell up like a child and they leave. Because they love, they've made an idol out of their dysfunction. They want to keep it because it appeases them. They want to soothe and medicate their dysfunction. Getting angry and blowing up at somebody, you're just medicating, bro. Just medicating. I know people, they're only happy if they're planning a vacation. I'm serious. Now, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm being serious. That is a psychological problem. I know people who can only be happy when they're in a relationship. That's a psychological problem. I know people who can only be at peace when there's noise. I tried to tell my kids growing up. They get so mad at me. Cut on the radio. You want to know why? Because when you sit at peace, you don't like you. So you have to be distracted. 
And in order to get that medication, you have to distract yourself. And a lot of times, if you're really in a relationship with God, when you set in peace, God will begin to deal with you. We don't want to hear that mess. Listen, I'm right there with you. You know, I have my own issues. And you may color your issue up, and you may look at somebody, man, you've done this. We've all done this. Well, my issue ain't as bad as their issue. Oh, my God. If I've heard that a hundred times, well, Dad, you know, or and I've said this to God, so I'm just giving you, I'm putting myself there, man. If any of us think that we're better than the person sitting beside us, that's a dysfunction. <laughs> Conceit is a dysfunction. The Bible specifically tells you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Keep yourself in perspective. Oh, man, at least I ain't doing that. Hey, you're doing this. At least I ain't like them. It ain't about them. It's about you. It's about your dysfunction. It's about where you're screwing up. God is not up in heaven with scorecards. And when you stand before him, you're going to be able to say, at least I wasn't the worst. Guys, listen, I don't know if we understand the gravity of eternity, what we are actually dealing with here. Do you understand that one day you will see those eyes of fire? You will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you will have to give an account. You and only you will be responsible for the revelation of what could have been and was to be against what you were. Some people in this house are called, are called to fill five-fold offices. Some people in this house are called to operate in supernatural gifts. Some people in this house are called to change their community and their state. And, and we can't get past our own dysfunction to see that. I admit my dysfunctions, you know. I said when God said, go tell Royal that you're giving him that property. My dysfunction said, I'm not a person that has that type of authority. I'm just a dude from the country. I'm just a guy from Mars who's doing the best he can to get through life. You know, and God said, that's your problem. That's your dysfunction. And until you get past that, you'll destroy any level of revelation that I give you. Any outpouring of me, any revival that begins, any, any release of, of the next level of revelation you will destroy because of your undealt with dysfunction. And if I can be a man enough to sit up here and tell you that, you got to take, you got to take ownership of yours. There are things that we encounter in life because of choices we make. There are things we encounter in life because we're simply in the earth. There are things we encounter in life because Demons have been released against us. Sometimes it's a struggle to identify which one of them we're in. But it's never the onslaught of hell itself that's bothered me. Honestly, when I recognize that that is the issue, that pushes me to a more intimate relationship with the Lord in a time of revelation, usually. When other people are doing things that affect me, their actions are causing me pain. There's really nothing I can do about that. You know, that's when I lean on the Lord. He's my hope. But when I'm living in the reality of the words that I'm releasing, and I'm living in the reality of my dysfunction, then that's, 
the danger. I beseech you. I beseech you, therefore, brothers. Let me, let me read this out. Of the, I, I like this New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all, because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. How, what, do we understand sacrifice? I whine, I whine, I whine. I, I'll put me. I don't want to put you in there with me because I don't know you all like that. But I can tell you I'm a whiner. I whine to God a lot. I'm not a wine-o, I'm a wine-er. And so when it doesn't go my way, I whine. When I don't want to study, I whine. When I don't want to pray, I whine. When I don't want to be a sacrifice, I whine. Yet nonetheless, that call is there. That command is there. To be a living sacrifice. It's amazed to me how much attention we put on our personal satisfaction, comfort, and enjoyment when Scripture identifies one aspect of our relationship with Father is that we live as a sacrifice. Now here's another way we medicate that sacrifice is that we put in rules and regulations which Paul said absolutely do nothing to help with your evil desires. One way we medicate... Our reluctancy to be a sacrifice is we cover it with rules. When in the morning God is saying you can apply all the rules you want, but let's talk about your dysfunction. Let's talk about how you always want to get things your way. Let's talk about how you're not committed. I'm talking about the way God talks to me. You say, well, Pastor, you're not committed not to the level I should be. If you were committed and I was committed to the level we should be, you know what's possible. You have it before you in that leather-bound book sitting beside you. You have it on your iPad, iPod, iPhone, Droid. Get some shout-out to some Droid people. You have that word with you, dude. It's not like you don't know what's possible. So we have this issue of commitment, this issue of giving God all. Let me tell you, when, when, when you experience lack financially and you withhold money, you have a fear dysfunction. When I see people's giving start slacking off and there's not I'm not talking about people who are in job transitions where they don't have a paycheck coming in I'm not talking about that I'm talking about people who are steady yet their giving starts slacking off there's a dysfunction it's called fear and what you're saying is that I give and then when I know lack I don't trust God so I'm going to withhold so that I don't know lack it's selfishness it's it's fear you're basing your relationship with the Lord on the external elements of life. Every one of us at times will be up against it financially. I mean, I have seen 
savings accounts full of money, and I've seen savings accounts with no money. With, with two girls in college and another guy we're trying to help, a son that we're trying to help establish himself, and with running a business and all of that, we get strapped. But if your giving reflects that, you got an issue. You got a dysfunction. Wouldn't you agree with me? Because you're saying, I don't trust God. I'm going to give out of my abundance. But what did Jesus say? Greater is the lady who gave out of her lack. Jesus don't look at things like you do. You can give $1,000 if you got $100,000 in the bank. Give $1,000 when you only got $1,000. And then we'll see where your faith is. These are the issues that God's saying, look, you can't connect heaven and earth if you continuously stay in the frame of mind that's in the earth. you got to think like heaven thinks. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is truly the way to worship God. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Guys, why aren't we continuously trying to carbon copy our lives with everybody else around us? Somebody gets a new truck, what do you want to do? I mean, it's, 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 you're trying to medicate. You're not satisfied or, or completely convinced that you're enough. So we got to medicate that dysfunction with things so that we gain status, so that people talk about us. This is, this is seriously in the body of Christ. Some preachers, they, they abandon their core values to grow a house. Why? So that they're talked about at the next preacher convention. So that their name's being mentioned at Walmart. And honestly, when I, when I hear about a house of worship and all I hear about are the people, I'm concerned. Because why would God raise up a house so that man would get credit? And if the only person that gets credit in the house is the man of the woman of the house, then is that God? People say, man, I want to go over there because whew, God is in that place. That's the house I'm looking for. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I've told you a hundred times. You can, take, you can take a business model and you can apply it to the house of God. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God... I, I believe there's some revelation coming into the church about ministry. Why is all of a sudden there's this revelation coming about workplace ministry? Because that's what Christ intended from the very beginning. We're the one that created this. That post I put on Facebook, I mean, somebody put that on there. I don't even know who I copied and put it on there from. But Abraham was a businessman. He wasn't a rabbi. He was a businessman. Abraham was rich because he worked hard. And because everything he was given, he multiplied. But let God transform you into a new person. Let God, who's he talking to? 
Who is this letter addressed to? <coughs> you can say it out loud. The church, us. It's not unbelievers they saw new. He's not at an unbelieving businessman convention. He's not at the local high school. He's writing this letter to the church. And he says, let God transform you into a new person. Well, I'm saved. That's good. But you still talk like you used to. And you still act like you used to. And you still have the same dysfunction that you used to. Oh, now you might not go and, you know, get turned up on Friday night. But, you know, you still got the same problems. You still have the same attitudes toward life, same perspective. You were, you were different for a season. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Isn't it something how we first get saved and everything changes? Man, we are in the Word. We are committed to the house of God. We're committed to the work of God. We guard ourselves, man. We got a guard around ourselves. We're like, man, I ain't watching that, listening to that, I ain't participating in that, I ain't going around them people no more. Man, I got radically saved. And over time, the church teaches us to lose all that. You just need to calm down, man. You just need to calm down. Cody, dude, you just need to chill, bro. You know? And we train people to get back into a lethargic relationship with the Lord. But there's hope because the Word says that God can transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. Changing the way you think. Where do your actions manifest from? Your thoughts. You have to transform the way that you think so you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What are some of the things, I got a few minutes, what are some of the things that we can do, and I'm not even going into all these scriptures that we could look at where the word of God, Paul especially, continues to draw out that it's our desires, our evil desires, the evilness in our heart, James points it out, it's in Titus, about where that evil comes from. It comes from, it may be fathered in Satan, but it comes from out of our heart. Because we let God have certain parts of our life, but we don't let him deal with the issues. And I've really sought God. Okay, God, we have these issues. We all have these issues, all right? These issues keep coming up from within us. So how do we deal with that? How do I change that? Because ultimately, that's what we want to know, right? Here's the problem, man, and I don't, I don't really mean this to sound harsh, but it's probably going to sound harsh, is that God's been telling you for years, and you just won't listen. <laughs> He's been telling me for years. Why do you think God says for a season you need to get up at 5 in the morning and read your word? You think God just loves jerking your chain, man? He knows you love sleep, so he's going to say, <laughs> watch this, <laughs> get up at five. <laughs> he's telling you that for a reason. Why do you think God said, come away? Shut the TV off. Come away with me. Come, go, go into a separate bedroom. Go out to the barn. Go out to the tool shed. Go walk in the woods. Come away and let me talk with you. Why do you think he's telling you that? It's because he's a good father. And he's tired of seeing you live beneath the heritage that you have. You're a king's son or daughter. 
There's no reason to keep living in infancy stage. There's no reason to keep acting like a child when you're mature. Childlike and childish are two totally separate things. He never said act childish. I'm sorry, man, but if Paul falls in the floor and kicks and screams because there's something he don't want to do, that's not going to be an appropriate behavior for an adult. Now, a two-year-old, we might say, okay, we got some training to do, and, and we might have grace there. But not for a 40-year-old. Paul's not 40, but 37, however old he is. It's not appropriate behavior. And God's asking you to get up in the morning because he wants to show you something in his word. Why? Because the word's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can do a work in you that 15 years of reading other books can't do. Whether you get Dennis Robbins or whoever. Hey, listen, you want to help your finances? I like Dave Ramsey. But how about putting his book down and see what the book says about finances? Here's the problem with that. When Dave Ramsey says it, we can agree or not agree. We don't have to deal with our dysfunction. When the Bible says it, who are you going to argue with? God? When he says give, that it, that it may be given to you, press down, shaking together and running over. When God says that and you withhold giving, then you got a bigger issue. Dave Ramsey says, hey, you know, get your budget, be responsible, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then we can say, well, that's just Dave. What's he know? Resist, James 4, 7. Ever heard of that one? So humble yourselves before God. There's a lot of the issue right there. There's a lot of our dysfunction right there. Humble yourself. Well, God loves to humble people. No, he doesn't. He asks you to do it. Time and time and time again, and you refuse. So eventually, he's not going to just leave you there in your dysfunction. But he asks you to humble yourself. Promise you, I promise you, it's a lot easier for you to do it than for him to do it. He resists the proud. Gives what? To the humble. Grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Well, I love him. I love him. Everybody that's over you in the Lord's telling you it's an awful relationship, but I love him. I'm just really trying to help you. Honestly, I don't want to control anybody, manipulate anybody, but I'm dealing with, you know, my own issues, man. And I know the arrogancy that we come to God with when God says don't do it and we want to. God says you need to be in the house of the Lord. Well, God knows my heart. That's the problem. You dang right he does. Oh, well, you know, it ain't about going to church. No, it ain't about going to church when it's an issue you have. But you're quick to put all those rules on somebody else. Just medicate your dysfunction. We have six days a week to do whatever we choose to do. No, we don't. I got to go to work. You choose to do that. You choose how long you work. 
How long you work is going to be relative to the lifestyle you want to live. But who's in control of all that? You. I didn't save enough when my kids were growing up to pay for all that they need in college. So you know what I have to do now? Get up and go to work. I saved tuition and books, but I had no idea that living life was going to cost that much. It's more than tuition and books. So I made that choice. Resist the devil and he'll what from you? If your issue's not fleeing from you, then maybe it ain't the devil. I said, if your issue's not fleeing from you, then maybe it's not the devil. Because the Bible makes promises and it does not lie. You resist the devil and he'll flee. So if my issue keeps staying with me, maybe it's time I address who's really responsible. This hits me, guys. This is what God's taken me through. You know, how, how you, you view life, how you view, uh, for guys, how you view women, for women, how you view men, for how you view relationship, how you view everything. A lot of these things were institutionalized in you by your, in your society, your environment. I get that. I put a lot of credit to that, credibility to social impacts. And, and, but regardless of how you got these issues, you still got them. And you got to own them. If you see women in a lot other than God's creation and God's daughter and somebody that should be respected and honored as a as a co-equal with you, just as important in the eyes of God as you. If, if you don't see a lady that way, if you see females lower than you guys, you got an issue. It was probably put there by your father or some significant male in your life that you observed their behavioral patterns. If you, if you are, listen man, Angela could ruin me. I have no idea how much money we have in the bank. I don't really know what our financial state is. I kind of got a clue about how much money I make. And I, I'm not stupid, so I can relegate and kind of, uh, not relegate. I'm trying to use big words. I don't know what they mean. <laughs> That's a dysfunction. I'm trying to medicate a dysfunction. <laughs> Justin would appreciate that. But, I mean, so I'm not, I'm not ignorant. But you know what? I trust my wife. I trust her. I've observed her life. I know how she is. And I trust her. So my observation of what our relationship with, we have a history, so therefore that trust is there. Now she could ruin me. She could really build up a lot of money and then split. And then boom, I'm under So my relationship with her, though, my relationship that I observed between my dad and mom was my dad controlled every penny. And as a result, I judged him because I felt like he never treated her appropriately. He never showed her a good time. He never gave her any, anything in life. Like, we never went on vacation, man. The first time I saw the beach, I was 18 on my senior trip on money that I earned. 
I mean, now we're like upset if we don't go to the beach twice. I went 18 years without seeing it. I mean, it didn't destroy me. If you don't get to go on a vacation this year, boo-hoo. I mean, life's rough, I know. I can say that because I really don't even like going to the beach. But I observed something, and when we we first got married, I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to live that way because, quite frankly, I don't want the hassle of it. So from the time I got married, I gave my check to Angela. I just said, here's my check. It was like 143 bucks a week. That's what I made. And she made 147 bucks a week. Bless God, she made more than I did. I'm going to pout about it. I wish Angela made eight times what I do. I'd rejoice. I'd probably quit, but I'd rejoice. <laughs> so you have these things that are built in you, these dysfunctions, even relationally outside the house of God, that you got to deal with, man. You keep putting your family in debt trying to keep up with somebody. Guys, look, all men, you are responsible. When you stand before God, he's going to look straight in your eyes. He's not going to call it. Now, I'm sure your wives play a role in it, but he's going to look at you first. It's your responsibility to protect your family. Even if your wife don't agree with it. And usually it's us guys who are causing the debt. My wife buys shorts and shirts and shoes. That don't come near a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. I mean, that's being real about it. We got to handle our dysfunction or we're leading our families down paths that's going to cause tension and ultimately could cause a breach in your relationship because of your dysfunction. That goes to all of us, guys. Oh, man, I love talking about this stuff, man, because we just get it out in the open. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you're ready to go. Don't medicate your dysfunction by looking at your watch. (laughs) Romans, I'm going to think that that's 13 right there. We'll try it and see where we go. Romans 13... Yeah, I'm going to read that out of the uh, New King James because it just makes my point a little better. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get out of these dysfunctions? Jesus. It's one way. Jesus. We look at the words of the Lord. We look at the actions of our Lord. We put Him on. Isn't it easy to put on Jesus when we're hearing worship music and then take Him off? when we want to make a decision that we know he doesn't approve of. Isn't that easy how quick Jesus can be put on and off? We can get him off quicker than a wet bathing suit. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. It doesn't say make no provision for the enemy to attack you. It says make no provision for you to fulfill your own lust. This is, this is another... This is another avenue of our dysfunction is that we continuously put ourselves and give provision to that dysfunction because most of the time there's a sense of ease and pleasure in that dysfunction. 
And so the Bible says don't even make provision for it. Shut it down. Whatever it is. If it's a person, if it's a situation, if it's, if it's an environment, if it's, you know, cut it out. Destroy every opportunity you have to fulfill that desire. When it starts to come up, quit entertaining it. And this is hard. This is difficult because sometimes we've given in to that lust and desire for so long that it just takes us over. You know, you know what I'm saying? When that dysfunction arises and you make that choice, that switch flips in your mind that you're going to do it, there ain't no turning back. There ain't no turning back. Once you flip that switch and you're going to do it, there ain't no turning back. But you got to catch it before the switch is flipped. When you feel, let's, let's don't even talk about things that most of us are, are, are aware of. How about anger? When you feel that start to boil, that's where you got to get it. Because once you flip that switch, then all manner of hell itself is going to come out of your mouth. And then you're going to be used as a tool of the enemy to tear and destroy people. You're going to verbally destroy your partner. You're going to say things that now are going to be a, become a dysfunction for them. You're going to say things you don't mean just to hurt. You're going to attack them. Maybe the way they look. Maybe something about their family. Maybe you're going to say you're just like so-and-so. You're going, to, you're going to allow your dysfunction now to perpetuate somebody else's dysfunction. You are going to become a tool of the enemy and not just a tool. You're going to become a tool of the enemy and he's going to be using you and you're going to be sitting in worship service and you're going to be used by the enemy. I don't want to give him leeway into my life. I sure don't want to create an avenue for him into somebody else's. That's why it's so important why the Bible says be slow to speak, quick to listen. Why? Because your words carry weight, man. That's good stuff. Put on the Lord Jesus. That's what we got to know how to do, man. How do we put him on? Make no provision for the flesh. Resist. Renew your mind. We went over that. Take into captivity. 2 Corinthians. This is worth just a little bit of extra time, man. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. In pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Tearing down strongholds. What do we say about strongholds? What's hiding behind a stronghold? A stronghold is a fortification. It's where people hide. It's where they take refuge. And it's not the stronghold itself necessarily but it's the exposing, once the stronghold is torn down, it's the exposing of where the enemy's hiding. And sometimes, guys, this is a, this is a, a continual process. This is not just 
a one-time thing. This is not God zapping you, you falling on the floor and flopping around and getting up and running, and, and then it's taken care of. It's a process. It's you coming into a partnership and relationship with people where you can be honest. This is, this is one of the holdbacks to all of us getting our dysfunctions resolved is that we truly don't trust each other. That's the truth, man. You want to deal with the truth, that's the truth. If I show Paul my true self, I can't do that. Because then when I show him who I really am, it's going to change our relationship. Isn't it? Isn't that asinine, man? We're in, let's, let's just take recovery. Let's take recovery. We're in a recovery program, right? And when a person acts out of their dysfunction and their disease, we kick them out of the program. Can you imagine that I am taking chemotherapy for cancer and I, I get in remission, right? But they want to continue my chemotherapy and then all of a sudden a cancer cell shows up and they're like, well, bless God, it's back. You're out of the program. That's ridiculous, right? Why do we do that in something like drug recovery? It's called recovery, not instantaneous new lifestyle. You know, when, when, when me and my son in this relationship, I said, son, we're going to have to have act, plans of action for everything. For everything that happens, we've got to have a plan of action. So if you were to mess up, what are we going to do? Well, bless God, you shouldn't think about that way, brother. Because in Jesus, he won't mess up. Well, you know, I'm sure that that is, uh, that is our standard, but you messed up. I've messed up. We got to renew the way we think. That's how we're transformed. We got to work on the way we think. We got to work on our dysfunction. And, and guys, you know, honestly, there are times I see things that alarm me, but I don't share them with you personally because I have a lack of trust. As a pastor, I have a lack of trust in you that if I truly share with you what I'm, what I'm receiving and what I'm sensing, then you, you're going to get mad at me and leave. That's happened so many times in my life that now it's hard for me to trust to be a father. Because we are like Tom Cruise questioning, what's his name in that movie? Yeah, you, Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. You need me on that wall. You want me on that wall. We need people in our life who will tell us the truth. You know, how, isn't it funny that we've cut out everybody in our life who is so dishonorable and disrespected. What we're saying is that we cut everybody out of our life who would tell us the way it really is. Dude, you're being a jerk. I'm just straight up. That was awful. You shouldn't have treated that person like that. I don't know. Something about that old dude. I, just, I don't like that dude no more, man. Something about him. You know, he's just getting too high. And flu, you know what I'm saying? And then we, because we don't trust. Galatians 5, we'll end here. I hope this is helping you. So, resist, 
If it's not leaving, it's not the devil, it's you. Make no provision for the flesh. Renew your mind. Take into captivity your thoughts. And ultimately walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5. Boom, boom. I love technology. Of course, it does make you lazy, so make sure that you actually know where the books of the Bible are. I would encourage you to do that. Galatians 5, 13. For you, brethren, have been called into liberty. Only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Man, that, you need to chew on that scripture. Don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now all of a sudden, things that, that we know in our spirit are wrong, we're calling right because we got this newfound freedom. It's not about rules, but it is about relationship, and in every relationship there are boundaries. I don't care what label you put on it, but I think it's important that you understand the difference between a rule and a boundary. Boundaries exist in relationship. Rules exist outside of relationship. This is why parents have to parent within the context of relationship and boundaries because rules will highlight sin, and sin will use the rule in order to perpetuate itself in the life of the person who's under that rule. I don't think I can say that again. That was the Holy Spirit. Paul said that the law was not unholy within itself, but that once he came into awareness of the law, that Satan used the law to heighten the level of sin in his life. In other words, don't eat that apple. If you hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have even notice there was an apple. But now that you said, don't eat the apple, daggum, I want that apple. (laughs) In the context of relationship, it's, hey, you see that apple? Yeah. The reason we don't participate in consuming that apple is because we love each other. And if we do, that's going to hurt our relationship. And I don't want to hurt you, so I'm not going to participate in the apple and I want you to protect me and cherish our relationship. So I want you not to participate in taking that apple because you don't want to hurt me. That's the difference. Man, I feel like God's just daggum downloading stuff to us. It's like God, man. I don't, not, I, I don't want to do the things that I do anymore. I'm not out here cheating on my wife and things like that. But the Bible does say if you look upon a woman and lust after her, You've already committed adultery, so don't be so easy on yourself. But you know what that lust looks like, eh? Walking down the mall, man, that's a beautiful woman. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging the beauty of another individual. But now you have a thought that you're in control of. You, you can't blame nobody else. I don't care what she's wearing. You can't, I mean, there might be some responsibility on her, but what you do with the information that you just received is your responsibility. You've got to make a choice. And God's saying, look, guys, own yourself. I've given you the power of Holy Spirit to own you. Don't you get tired, man? I just get tired. It's like, where did that come from? Where did that attitude come from? What, what is this frustration about? What is this bad outlook about? You know? I mean, you come in here and you pull your life into something and sometimes it just don't seem like it's going where you want it to. That's the problem, though. You had all these perceptions of how you thought it was going to go. Just trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. Just every day, trust 
in him. And he will have you exactly where you're supposed to be. Nothing in your life took him by surprise. No mistake you made took him by surprise. No however many years you spent out in the wilderness experience didn't take him by surprise. You're here now because he ordains your footsteps. And he wants you to resolve these issues so that he can take you to a higher level of revelation and experience in the relationship. Relationships have, have earmarks in them. You know, when you were dating, as it should have been, you know, you go on what, how many dates before you kiss or whatever. You know, you get that first, you know, I know that's not relative to our society because now we're just sleeping with everybody we want to sleep with. I'm talking about in the context of true, what do, what do they used to call it? Courtship. Every relationship has moments built within the relationship where before that moment, behavior is not acceptable. And it's the same way with God. There's strategic moments in the relationship in which you transition from one level of intimacy to another. And if you try to get ahead of that or pervert that, then that's what you have, perversion. I'll give you this last, and I know you're ready to go. Galatians 5.13, and I don't hate on you for that because I'm ready to go. Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only don't use it for an opportunity of flesh. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. I mean, if we could truly understand that. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. It, isn't it? I just want to interject this again. Quit thinking about everybody around you and think about you. You know, the Bible talks about slothfulness. If you're a lazy person, you need to transition out of that. Because that's spoken against in the scripture. Maybe you were raised, you didn't have to do nothing. Maybe your mom and daddy did everything for you, and now you just don't even know how to transition into a real workforce. You need to learn. You need to get rid of that dysfunction in your life. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm just looking at everybody. Because we're all in this. I have things that I'm lazy at. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, but not limited to, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Hey, I've never committed idolatry. I just said, if you want to be in control of everything, you're idolizing yourself. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions. That's in the house of God. I want to be a popular person. So I'll adopt and change who I am in order to accumulate people so that I can have my selfish ambition highlighted. I want people to ask me to come and preach because I want to be promoted. I love the way people promote me and dote on me. So that's why I want to do it. That's perversion. Heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking to a church. 
I'm going to finish this and then we'll go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. He's not talking about that fifth of whiskey. He's talking about that mouth, that tongue. He's talking about that thought process, that thought pattern where you keep destroying yourself and your mind. Self-control, man. You being in control by the Spirit of yourself. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. And those who are in Christ, there again, put on Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I've got to take that thing, and I know this is old-timey thought process, and maybe we don't understand the full, fullness of it, but you've got to take that thing to the cross, man. And you've got to say to yourself, faith comes by hearing, that dysfunction in my life, the price for the resolution of that dysfunction has been paid for. And I claim that over my life. I will not operate under this dysfunction anymore because I am a son of God. Whether you feel like you're walking in the spirit or not, you need to declare that over yourself. I'm walking in the spirit. I yield my mind and my thoughts to the spirit. I yield my body to the spirit. This day, I will dedicate everything that I am to the spirit. I will hear your voice. I will follow your call. The way you tell me to go, I will go. And when you check me, I will render that thought and that action to you. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. That's the problem sometimes. We want to live in the Spirit, but we don't want to walk it out. Walk, walk, walk it out. You know what I'm saying? There's revelation in that, man. We want to live in the Spirit. We want to come into conventions, and we want to have these meetings, and we, want to, we, want, and, and we should want that. We should desire that. We should crave that. I went to Abner's meeting because I desire and crave what he's releasing. This man is beyond, he, he's beyond where I am. So I want to surround myself with them people. But it's awesome to be in that presence. It's awesome to see people fall out in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome to see people get, uh, you know, get rocked by the Holy Ghost. But then how do you walk? Because our walk is not congruent. It's like we don't even we don't even acknowledge that when somebody stands in the pulpit anymore, these are the words of the Lord. These are the words of the Lord. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So this morning, there are things you can do. There are practical applications to resolving our own dysfunctions and our own dilemmas in our life that we face on a continual basis. There are inappropriate thought processes and patterns that we've built, integrated into the matrix of how we do life. There's ways, there's grids that we interpret information that is presented to us. And we each have our own grid based upon the factors of our past and present and future all relegated together. Prophetic words even become a part of trying to discern and, and tap into information that we're presented with. And built within that, we have some dysfunction. All of us. And so it's very important that we allow Holy Spirit to check our heart. The Bible actually says that your heart will lie to itself 
and tell you that you're okay. But then when the Holy Spirit checks you, He will say, no, you're not. And then it's not enough just to, to feel good that Holy Spirit identified it. We've got to change. There should be a noticeable change in every one of us this time next year. We should not be the same people that we are now. We should, we should manifest more humility, and more compassion, more love. You're not disciples because you follow a bunch of rules. You're disciples how you love one another. You're not a disciple either if you don't follow the disciplines of the Scripture. And the discipline that God's releasing to you this morning is, I'm growing weary of that dysfunction that you continually, continually allow to exist in your life. You can medicate it. It's not going to go away. Anxiety is a real deal. But we got to deal with what's making you anxious can't just keep medicating it. It's okay to medicate it for a while. I'm not one of those people who say you can't do that, but sooner or later we got to come to a resolution. We cannot perpetuate this lifestyle any longer. Because what we're going to end up doing is destroying each other. And I beg of you if a brother and sister entrust you be trustworthy. Don't share it, even with me, if they ask you not to share it. I don't want to hear it if they ask you not to share it. 